So have you ever been in a work situation where you've had friends at work that have embarrassed the heck out of you? I have. Back in high school, I was working at this printing company. I ran an art press and then did some odd jobs. I was kind of a gopher of sorts. And I had a foreman that came up to me and said, hey, Eric, I got something I need you to do. I need you to go find our paper stretcher. It's somewhere in the plant. Some of you know where this is going already. Well, I'd been there about three months, and and this foreman had befriended me. So, you know, I I trusted him. He was my supervisor. And so, you know, I went ahead and tried to find the paper stretcher. So I asked him, I said, where did you last see the paper stretcher? He said, well, I I think it was with uh, a pressman back in the corner back there, the corner press back there. So I walked across the entire plant, and I got to the pressman. I said, hey, the foreman's looking for the paper stretcher. Have you seen it? He said, no, I, I don't think I have, but I think it's back in that other corner with the assistant foreman. So I walked across the plant again, and I found the assistant foreman. I said, hey, have you seen the paper stretcher? The, the foreman's looking for it. He said, no, no, I haven't, I haven't seen that. I think there was a company that borrowed it, and they turned it in at the front desk. Go check in with the receptionist. Well, there was this really cute young woman as the receptionist, and I had this high school crush on her. And whenever I got around her, I just got tongue-tied. So I didn't want to go and and talk to her, but I had to be a good employee. So I went up to the receptionist, and I said, excuse me, you know, sheepishly to the the beautiful young woman. I said, "Have have, have you seen the paper stretcher? She just started laughing at me. She said, Eric, you can't stretch paper. There's no such thing as a paper stretcher. Well, I realized right there that I had been had. I was so incredibly gullible, embarrassed, humiliated. So I I walked out and I walked on this balcony overseeing the entire plant and the scores of presses and tons of employees. And I realized all of them were pointing up at me and just laughing their butts off. One of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I don't think I spoke to a lot of those co-workers that were friends that were involved in that humiliation of me for quite a while. It was one of those times that I, I can't forget, but I don't want to remember either. And, and that's how relationships at work can often be, right? They can be best of times and they can be worst of times. You know, if you've got a best friend at work, you love going to work, don't you? Because you get to hang out with your best friend. But if you hate your boss, if you've got a foreman that's playing cruel practical jokes on you, it's torture to go to work. With so much time spent at your job, and there's a ton of jobs represented over our four campuses today, your job could be school right now. It could be in an office, in a field, it could be you know, in a courtroom, a warehouse, wherever. But with so much time spent at your job, Making the most of your relationships at work is critical to being the person that God wants you to be. Let me repeat that because that's really important. With so much time spent at work, making the most of your work relationships is critical to being the person that God wants you to be. We're in the third week of our series, Job Change. A fresh look at work. And we're trying to give some some new lenses, some new perspective on different aspects of the workplace. And so you guessed it, today we're focusing in on relationships. So here is this week's fresh look. Your work relationships need to reflect 
your relationship with Jesus. Would you say that with me? Your work relationships need to reflect your relationship with Jesus. Okay, if you would, pull out the weekly welcome. That's the piece you received when you came in. And I want to encourage you to take some notes because I hope that today is not just something to, uh, you know, intrigue your mind. I hope there'll be things that you learn this weekend that you could apply this week in your life. And writing them down is going to help. And that applies to those of you here in St. Charles, to those of you at our new permanent campus in Bartlett, at Blackberry Creek, and to DeKalb as well. And by the way, DeKalb, a huge congratulations and a happy 10th anniversary as a campus. St. Charles, did you give it up for DeKalb? Way to go, you guys. Awesome. Now, you may right now be saying, now, Eric, here's the deal, you know, uh, you may be a good manager and all of that, but, but you don't understand the real world. I mean, you work at a church. You're an executive pastor. And I got to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. You know, I work with a lot of Christians. I mean, most of the pastors around here are Christians that I work with. <laughs> and I don't know a lot of what you're going through potentially. You know, I could tell you that, yeah, but we, we do have, you know, a large church, 120 staff, you know, we got four campuses. We've got a large budget. I've been doing this, overseeing all that for over a decade. But I don't know your particular situation. You know, I, I could tell you that uh, before I got into church work, I ran a painting company for eight years, and I worked at several other organizations. But I'm not dealing with a lot of what you're dealing with day in and day out. However, I, I do have a lot of friends, and I've spent years in community groups and talking to friends like my friend Joe that we saw in the video. And I've heard from many, many people the good, the bad, and the ugly of workplace relationships. And so I think I've got an idea of where you are and what you're going through. And while we're all Christians that work here at Christ Community, you know, we're still co-workers. We're still bosses. We report to bosses. And believe it or not, we also have some relational issues from time to time. So I think I've got a grasp on what you may be going through in your workplace. And on top of that, I also feel like God has, has given me a grasp of what his word says about being in workplace relationships. And that's really what I want to share with you today. There's four types of relationships that we're going to talk about. The first is relating to your coworkers. The second is relating to your bosses. The third is relating as the boss. And the fourth is relating to difficult people. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll get started with the first type of relationship. Relating to your coworkers because in this relationship... Lifestyle matters. Lifestyle matters. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. So who is Peter talking to in this passage? Well, he's talking to Christ followers, Christ followers that are going through persecution. And he's exhorting them to what? To stand firm, stand firm. And here's the deal, friends. If you call Jesus your Savior and Lord, if you say that you are a follower of his, then you have a tremendous calling on your life. You are called, we are called to be little Christ's, 
Do you know that's actually what the word Christian means, to be a little Christ? We're called to be ambassadors for Christ's kingdom. But because of that, you are, by definition, a foreigner in places where Jesus is not Lord. You're a foreigner in places where Jesus is not Lord, and you are called to stand firm in those types of settings, in those difficult settings. I love the fact that I work at a church, and I get to be around Christ followers all day long. Most likely, that's not your setting. Most likely, there's a real good chance that your workplace is not a God-honoring place. And so, therefore, Peter is telling us, you are an exile. That's what he's saying here. We are foreigners and exiles, but we're called to stand firm. What he wants us to do is to be aware of our lifestyles. Verse 11 and 12, he says here things like, abstain from sinful desires, live good lives, see that they would, may see your good deeds. See, friends, your relationship with Jesus, or your relationship with your coworkers, needs to reflect your relationship with Jesus. We are all called to live a lifestyle worthy of the calling that we have received We are to live a life worthy of our status. We're to live in our role as members of Christ's kingdom. And we're to live as servants, like Jesus did. See, Jesus came to minister to others. He came to serve others. And as little Christ, I think sometimes we get it mixed up. In the workplace, we feel like our boss and our coworkers, you know, they're there to help me. You know, my boss is there to help me get more money and better hours and better work conditions. My coworkers are there to help me get a job done to impress the boss. You know, all those, it's about me way too often when as little Christ with this huge calling on our lives, we're to be like Jesus. We're to do as Christ did and to serve others, to give mercy just as we have received mercy. That's to be our reflection of our relationship of Jesus. Okay, quick activity here. Everybody stick out the index finger, the pointer finger on your dominant hand. I'm going to stand here until everybody does it. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Now, here's what I want you to do. Draw a capital Q. Actually, before that, poke the person in the eye next to you. Go ahead. No, no, don't do that. Okay. Draw a capital Q on your forehead. Ready? Go. All right, now here's the deal. If you drew the cue with the line so that you could, in theory, see your forehead and read it, read the cue yourself, social experts tell us you're an introvert. If you drew the line so that other people could see the cue on your forehead and read it, then social experts tell us you're an extrovert. How do we do? Got some introverts, some extroverts here at all of our campuses. All right, you're saying, okay, Eric, what's up with the silly exercise? What does that have to do with relationships in the workplace? Well, not a lot, actually. It was just kind of a fun thing to do. (laughs) But it's a reminder that God has created all of us with a certain personality. We are wired a certain way, and he's created us in his image to be a reflection of him. But, But here's what happens. Many of us go to school. We go to work. We become people that are not true to ourselves, or even worse, true to our God and our reflection of him. We start living or exemplifying a lifestyle that's not who we are in Christ. See, our lifestyle and our relational guide is right here. It's God's word. It's not Facebook. It's not the latest opinion poll. 
It's not your political position. It's not MTV. It's not People Magazine. It's God's Word. And we are not to be weekend Christians at church and then have relationships in our workplace with coworkers who couldn't tell from our lifestyles that we're different from anyone else. Peter tells us in verse 11 that we're to wage war against these fleshly desires that can alter our lifestyles and alter our reflection with Christ. And he uses that word war very specifically because, friends, the battle of our life for our lifestyles is just that. It's a war. It's a battle. If, if our soldiers were to go into Iraq right now and fight ISIS without any weapons, what would happen? They get annihilated. They get killed. And yet we go into our lifestyle battle and some of our relationships without the weapon that is our weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Peter is saying, I hope that when people look at you, they see in you good works. I hope that when your coworkers are talking about you, they talk about good works in your life. That's what verse 12 Peter's saying here. And he's referring to good works. They're virtues that the culture itself would approve. So let me go through a little list here and, and just kind of self-evaluate how am I doing with this list in my workplace, in my school. Are you known for your honesty, punctuality, truth-telling, Loyalty, commitment to work, reliability as a friend, for being a family person, a peacemaker, a God-fearing person. I hope that you're not known for the opposite, the antithesis of that list, for being known for being a gossip, walking over people in the name of ambition, being ruthless, late, unreliable, easily angered, or have a propensity to not speak the truth. See, in relationships, those things aren't respected. At best, they're simply endured. Friends, stand out in your workplace. Stand out. But stand out for good reasons, not for bad reasons. Paul says something uh, similar to this in Titus 3, verse 2. He says, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle and show courtesy toward all people. All right, three tips before we move on to the next relationship. Three tips to what it means to relate to your coworkers. The first is be a real friend. Be a real friend. Real friends are loyal, honoring in their relationships, authentic and available. Be that to your coworkers. Verse 11, Peter says, conduct yourself honorably. Around here at Christ Community, we got lots of employees, lots of teams, lots of campuses, but we really try to foster relationships and friendships as much as we can. We, we want to spread a core in our, uh, in our environment here. And I love it when I see on, on Facebook or Twitter or I, I hear in the hallways that friends are getting together and, and, and actual friendships are being made from staff members. I, I love it when I go to birthday parties or graduation parties and I see Christ Community staff there as real friends. I hope that's what you're known as in your workplace, in your school, that you're known as someone that is a real friend. Secondly, second tip, be aware. Be aware. Did you know that people talk about people? Newsflash, huh? Here's the reality. If you're a Christ follower and people know you're a Christ follower or go to church in your environment, people talk about you even more. Be aware that your lifestyle 
your actions, your words, they represent you. They represent your family. They represent your church and they represent your reflection of God. Peter says in verse 12, I hope that when they observe you and talk about you, that they're talking about your, your good works. But some of us are here and saying, uh-oh, yeah, you're right, Eric. And boy, I'm not sure they're talking so highly of me right now. And some of us need to make some changes in our lives. We need to stop drinking as much as we do. We need to stop seeing some of the movies that we, that we see. We need to get, get rid of the filthy mouth or vile humor or talking about porn when we're with our work buddies. Oh, we need to get rid of those slutty, the slutty gossip about the weekend activities with the, the single girls or even the married girls and their guys. And we need to start, we need to start meeting with other Christians at work for prayer and accountability and Bible study. We need to look for ways to bring godly values into our conversations, into the decisions that are made in the workplace. One last be aware. Be aware of sexual temptation in the workplace. Pastor Jim talked about this last week, and he had some really good tips about how to avoid um, getting into some improprieties. Please go back and watch that if you missed it last week or listen to it on our website. But I got to mention it again because there is not a month that goes by as I'm talking to elders or community group leaders or other people when I hear about people in our church family, men and women, that are having sexual relationships, affairs with, inappropriate relationships with somebody from work of the opposite sex. And it breaks my heart, you guys. It should not be happening. Peter is saying that it's a war. It's a battle. And we're going into the battle, into the, into the war without any weapons. Without being protected. Let me encourage you with all that I have protect yourselves. And don't fight the battle alone. You know, don't hide texts or emails or voicemails or, or anything. When the temptation comes, be open with your spouse, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, with your community group leader, or your accountability partner. Don't fight this battle alone. It's real. It's real. Now, I know it's real because I've had to fight it myself. Not here at Christ Community Church, but back in those days in my high school job at this printing company, I had a, a girl, a young married 20-something that would come up to me and she said, hey, Eric, my husband's gone. Why, why don't you come on over tonight? Let, let's, I want to show you a good time. Let's have a bottle of wine and let's spend the night together. And I'll tell you what, as a young, vibrant man, you know, that was, that was tempting. But I was in a season in my life where I was in God's word. I had Christians around me holding me accountable. And by God's grace, I was able to avoid disasters on lots of different levels because of the Christian community and because I had my armor and my sword ready to go. I had to say no multiple times, but by God's grace, I did. I'm also excited to tell you that, that she accepted Christ, this woman did. She married a pastor, and now she's a, a missionary in Africa. That's not true. I'm just totally kidding right then. Yeah, not true at all. But I didn't sleep with her, okay? But I didn't sleep with her. 
That was mean, I know. All right, third tip, third tip. Be an ambassador. Pastor Jim's going to talk more about this next week, but realize that people may glorify God because of you, your relationship, and your lifestyle. That's what Peter says in verse 12. So that's relating to your coworkers. Lifestyle matters. Let's move on to number two. Second type of relationship, relating to the boss, because loyalty matters. Let's continue on in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And by the way, I am going to be looking at a few different passages today. Typically, we will uh, look at one passage throughout the, the entire message, but we're going to look purposefully at what God's Word says in uh, several different passages uh, today about workplace relationships. But we are going to continue now to verse 13 through 17 in 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as to the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now, the backstory here of this passage is that Peter is addressing, addressing persecuted Jewish believers in the Roman Empire. They were being greatly criticized, and we see in verse one, chapter 1, verse 6, suffering griefs in all kinds of trials. In the Roman world, you see, there was a growing hostility toward Christians. It was being instigated by the government. Does that sound familiar at all? But even in that climate, Peter's language is very, very clear. What are the three words he says? He says, honor, obey, submit. Those are some powerful words. And here's the topper. Emperor Nero was in charge. And he was known as the most barbaric persecutor of the early church. And yet Peter is saying, honor, obey, submit. Wow. Now, you may be saying, okay, but, but Eric, Peter is talking here about the government. He's not, he's, I don't see any reference to the office or the workplace in this passage. But, but here's the reality. See, the workplace is an institution of a civil society. And it was God's purpose to bring order to a society through government. And in the same way, the workplace has brought order to a working world. So we have to realize that his point here, the principle here, is that we are a people in our workplace that are under authority. We're under authority. That's the underlying principle. And with that principle in mind, how you relate to your boss will either bring honor or dishonor to Christ. Did you hear that? How you relate to your boss will either bring honor or dishonor to Christ. Your relationship with your boss needs to reflect your relationship with Jesus. Peter says, submit yourself to your boss so that you will get a raise. Eh. Submit yourself to your boss so you have a good relationship with him or her, and later on you'll get a good promotion. Eh. Submit yourself, Peter says, because of the Lord. And submission here in this context, it means obedience and loyalty. Now, for some of you, you go, yeah, that's a piece of cake. I love my boss. You know, they're great. I, I submit and I'm loyal for sure. Other of you want to come up here and you want to just scream and cuss at me because you have no idea. You think I have no idea of what you're going through. And I might not, that's for sure. But you see, that's why we're doing this series 
and calling it job change. Because many of us have been inundated with an unhealthy perspective of authority, and we need a fresh look. You know, many of us want to sing that Johnny, that old Johnny Paycheck song to our boss. Take this job and shove it. But in regards to authority and bosses, many of us have grown up being taught about the man, you know, by people that are putting down the man. You know, people like teachers, not dissimilar in many ways to, to Dewey Finn from the movie School of Rock, who in this scene is pretending to be Mr. Schneebly. Take a look. Let's close in prayer, all right? And, uh, <laughs> while that clip is, of course, an exaggeration, we often feel like we're powerless to change our culture or, or to change the man or to change our workplace. And so instead of submitting, what do we do? We rebel. We, we cut corners. We, we steal things. We talk poorly about the man and our boss like we're above the system. See, this entire worldview plays into our relationship with our boss. We feel like we have all of these workplace entitlements and rights. Just the other day, my, my wife and I were, uh, Rachel and I were driving in the car, and we heard an interview on WBBM uh, radio. That's what you listen to when you're in your mid-40s, I guess. <laughs> but there was this interview with this lady who was picketing on strike, her company, and here's what she said. This is her quote about her full-time job. They make me spend 40 hours a week on the job and take me away from my family. How dare they? What is this world coming to? Again, it's extreme, I realize, but our society is obsessed with their rights. I have a right to everything, and if I don't get what I want, I will fight back. And this mentality is foreign to Peter and the way workers should relate to their bosses. Peter says that you need to submit to your boss because of your respect for God. Now, a quick aside here that I don't have time to develop, but submission does not mean blind obedience. Paul goes on to say later that we need, there are times when we need to obey God rather than man. And I've heard many times from people in community groups or friends that have said, you know what, my, my boss is make, making me fix the numbers and, and it's tax evasion. No, you don't submit in that situation. Or my boss is making me lie to a customer so I get this sale so we meet our quota. No, you don't do that either. Okay, in those situations, you don't submit. You obey God rather than man. Be wise, certainly. But in many cases, we need to take that atmosphere, that attitude of submission. Two quick tips in relating to the boss. First, be loyal, honoring, and trustworthy. Do speak highly of him or her. Go directly to your boss with problems. Represent your boss's decisions well with others. Be truthful and honest. Don't steal office supplies. Don't gossip or speak poorly about your boss. And don't do this with the company's time. I got a kickback from Dish on that one. That was nice. <laughs> be loyal, honoring, and trustworthy with your boss. Don't be deceiving with them. Verse 13 says, submit. 
That's being loyal. That's being honoring. That's not being deceiving. Second tip, care about them as a person. Know what's going on in their families. Ask how you can pray for them. You know, invite them to your uh, personal parties, events, or, or services here at the church. Know when their birthday is and their anniversary. You know, being the boss can often be lonely. It really can. Don't contribute to the loneliness of your boss. Verse 17 says that honor and love are the key values in this relationship. So that's relating to the boss. Loyalty matters. Third, relating as the boss because leadership matters. Okay, I want you to think of your favorite all-time boss or teacher if you're still in school. Okay? You have that person in mind? Okay, now think of one sentence or one reason why they are your all-time favorite boss or teacher. Do you have that in mind? You got it? Okay, I want you to turn to one person. You have 10 seconds each to share who and why is your favorite boss and why. Ready? Go. Share. All right, lots of good reasons being shared here among all of our campuses. Monster.com recently took a survey, same question they asked, here are the top five reasons. Number one, my boss set clear expectation. Number two, my boss coached me. Number three, my boss gave me feedback. Number four, my boss recognized my efforts. And number five, my boss created an environment of integrity and trust. And if you're a boss here, I hope that that fifth reason, creating an environment of integrity and trust, would be a lot higher on your personal, personal values list. So are you a boss here? Do you manage other people? Do you supervise other people or projects or teams? Are you a CEO or a president or an owner of a company? Well, how'd you do with that list from Monster.com? How'd you do with what you heard from the person next to you? I hope that whether your company or your organization sets values about integrity and about trust and that environment, I hope that as a boss, you do that for yourself anyway. Here at Christ Community, we've got eight C staffing values that run a lot of what we do. We hire according to these values. We evaluate and reward according to these values. And as supervisors, we recognize that leadership matters, and we need to make sure our environment is one that supports these values. I'll give them to you for reference, but I hope that you have some of your own, either from your organization, like Joe did in the video, or that you have yourself as a supervisor or boss. Our eight staffing values here are Christ-likeness, character, competency, cultivator, calling, culture, chemistry, and capacity. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. We want to see what Paul says here about the workplace and about our boss, about being a boss. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor with, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do 
whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. We're going to focus in on verse 9 primarily, but a quick word about that particular passage. You know, it's really awkward and difficult to talk about slaves and masters in today's culture. I mean, we all know that it's inhumane. We all should be appalled. And just to be crystal clear, Paul is not speaking in any way, shape, or form and in an endorsement form of slavery. But he recognizes that in the Roman world, almost every family you know, had slavery impacting their lives. And so there were some life lessons that needed to be addressed to followers of Christ in that environment. And I'm referring to it because it applies well to a work, a boss, an employee relationship. Another quick aside, you probably already know this, but Christians here in America were at the forefront of abolishing slavery. People like William Wilberforce, who looked at what God's word had to say about how God created us in his image and the rights of humans and said, we got to get slavery out of here. So with all that said, here's some good life lessons for all of you bosses or supervisors that are out there from this Ephesians passage. You know, the first thing that, that Paul says is don't threaten. You know, we can threaten with our posture, with our tone of voice, with things that we say or don't say, and sometimes we like to use leverage as bosses. And, and Paul's saying, no, I, I just told the employees or I told the slaves that they should have good attitudes and serve one another, and bosses, you should have that same demeanor, not one of threatening. He also said, don't show favoritism. Paul says, God doesn't show favoritism and neither should we. A line that I use a lot around here is not equal, but equitable. You know, there's going to be people that make more money, have different benefits, get more communication or time with you as the boss. That's okay. It's not always going to be equal, but it should be equitable. Paul is saying, as the boss, make sure you make things fair. Proverbs 20, verse 23 says, The Lord detests differing weights but, and dishonest scales don't please him. That's another line that I use a lot around here is I like to talk about equal weights and measures. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Now, I do recognize that one of the favoritism difficulties comes with bosses and workplace friendships. It's a fine line between, you know, showing favoritism and being a good friend with somebody that you supervise. Coaches of sports teams will go so far as many of them to say, hey, I'm your coach, but I'm not your friend. It doesn't have to be that way in the workplace. All right, you've got to be cautious. You've got to be wise. You need to avoid any hint of favoritism, but it's okay and it's healthy to have friendships with people that you oversee or that oversee you. In all cases, your relationship with your employees needs to reflect your relationship with Jesus. Two tips for relating as the boss. One, be godly. Apply the right motivations, attitudes, and ethics. And when your employees talk to other people about you, they're going to reference you as their favorite boss. Second, Trust versus suspicion. Have a default in your relationship of trust versus suspicion. If you do that, the respect level for you as a boss and the relationships you have will greatly increase. 
Now, for more of these leadership and management tips, a shameless plug for my blog, Leadership 360. I regularly will point out things for bosses and, or for, uh, for leaders of all kinds, leaders of homes or sports teams or businesses or churches or organizations. So there's information in uh, your weekly welcome. You can find it on our website. But Leadership 360, I encourage you to take a look at that. So that's relating as the boss. Leadership matters. Lastly... Relating to difficult people, because in this relationship, love matters. All right, last exercise here. Ready? Take out that same finger. You still have it? Okay. Get it? Everybody, come on. Everybody stick it out. Stick it out. Your primary hand, your dominant hand. Okay, I'm serious about this one now. I want you on the count of three to jab the person in the shoulder next to you. Ready? One, two, three. Go. Jab. Jab. Yep. Heard a couple of ows. That's good. I like that. I hope you were the second person to be jabbed because a university study was done by a university that had way too much time on their hands. And they found out that the person that jabs second jabs the hardest. Why is that? Because we all love to get back at people, right? We love to retaliate. Boom, boom. You know, that's how we, we always want the last word to have the last thing that we say. Well, let's see how that relates to what Jesus says, all right, about dealing with difficult people. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 29. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone pokes you in the shoulder, oh wait, that's not what it says. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Then down to verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. If we're to treat our enemies like this, friends then our co-workers, we should as well, even if they're difficult. It may seem unnatural to treat bad people like this, but that's what we're called to do. Your relationship with difficult people needs to reflect your relationship with Jesus. The temptation is to avoid those difficult people. It's when you get into a, a, a verbal altercation, it's to shoot back at them. You know, it's to send emails that are ripping at them. It's to pray or hope that something would happen to them. Don't judge me. You've done that too. Jesus said, pray for their well-meaning. Ignore the comment in your head. It's radical, but do the opposite. Love, don't hate. Pray for them. Don't avoid them. I heard the story of a Muslim who recently became a Christian. Became a Christian. Somebody asked him, why did you become a Christian? He said three words. Love your enemies. I saw Christ followers living this out. I read about it in Jesus' teaching. And it was so contrarian to what I had heard and been taught growing up to hate my enemies that it was eternally transforming those three words. Love like this, Jesus says, and your reward will be great. You will make God smile. Be merciful just as your father has been merciful to you. And I'll tell you what, I love my coworkers. I actually don't have any here that are difficult. Maybe, maybe a couple. But I, when I'm going through this passage, I was really convicted this week about people in my other spheres of influence 
and relationships that are difficult. Man, when you start putting faces and names to this teaching, it is hard stuff. So pray for me as I pray for you in this regard. But it's what we're called to do, to have our relationships with difficult people reflect our relationship with Christ. And by the way, this doesn't mean you can't give constructive feedback to the person or people. You know, if, if things get really out of hand, you can't report them. You know, because, I mean, that's actually a loving thing to do for their sake and for the sake of the company or the organization. Two last tips before we close here in loving the difficult people in your life. One, start praying daily for the difficult people in your life and yourself in dealing with them. And secondly, you may need to ask for forgiveness. If you've spoken out of turn, if you've said something that was really hurtful, you may need to go to that person and say, I'm really sorry that I treated you like that or said that to you. Okay, so reflecting relationships are the name of the game when it comes to relationships in the workplace. I hope that you got a few things that you can take away from this week and that you can apply this week. Your work work relationships need to reflect your relationship with Jesus, and that plays out by relating to your coworkers where lifestyle matters, relating to the boss where loyalty matters, Relating as the boss where leadership matters and relating to difficult people where love matters. Here in St. Charles, I encourage you to stand up with me if you would as we close in prayer. If you're here as a guest and you want to find out more information about the church or about spiritual matters, I encourage you to go back to our Welcome Center uh, back there at the close of the services. We'll have people love to answer your questions, help you out. If there's things you want to pray about, maybe it's some relationships that were brought to mind with uh, bosses or employees or difficult people or just need to pray for some health issues or whatever it may be that's going on. We've got prayer team members that would love to pray with you uh, on either of the sides following uh, the, the amen of the closing prayer. All right, let me close some prayer. God, thanks for allowing us to look into your word and to understand clearly what we're to do as reflectors of you in the place that you have called us. Help us to take what we learned today and apply it to our lives tomorrow. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.